Well, welcome to the Christian Contrast Podcast, where we talk about how following Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. Um, and here we are with another Zoom podcast. I'm Dan, here with Garrett, as usual. And Hi. we are joined by special guest, Randy Alcorn. Let's give him a hand. Hello. It's great to welcome. be with all of you. Yes. That's Sitting in the same room with you guys. I, I used to do uh, a lot of recordings where they would say, pretend we're in the same room. And I go, this is a great way to start. Pretend you're we're all together. But everybody Do we have another choice? We're not now. That's right. Well, it doesn't matter. You're in Oregon. We're in California. We're all in the yeah. same room here. Right. And so um, and so, a lot of people, I know for, for our church, a lot of people, Randy, know you from your uh, books and your speaking, which cover a lot of subjects, including um, heaven prominently and giving and generosity. Um, and of course, you're most famous for being the father-in-law of the teaching pastor of Life Bible Fellowship Church. Um, that's right. That, that's me. So that's how most people know you. And I, I wear that as a badge of honor. That's good. Um, but, but what I was thinking actually is, um, you know, you, you run a ministry called Eternal Perspectives Ministries. I thought it might be great for people who are listening and aren't as familiar with that just for you to give a quick lowdown on what that ministry is and what you guys do. Yeah, it's a ministry that we started uh, almost exactly uh, 30 years ago, um, actually 30 years ago next month. Um, and uh, we start, I had been uh, a pastor. Whoa, here we go. Don't worry, we can edit it out. It's a All good right. point to put my phone on silent too. <laughs> well, what's funny is it's the phone is on silent, but it's the... Uh, the alarm that overcomes. Uh, I just want to make sure that I don't have any others set here before we return. I'm good until 4.03. Every bit, that's like Karina's birthday, 4.03. And then I've got Angie's 6.12. I've got, you know, so that's my reminder to pray for them. I'm not sure who I was supposed to pray for there, but anyway. Okay, so let's go right. again. So we're going to... On Garrett, should, should we just start over or should we just keep going? You can just ask your question start, again, or, yeah. or, or, or Randy, you can just keep going from you can just keep going from where you went. Yeah, it's fine. All right, I'll probably just back up. Um, we uh, started Eternal Perspective Ministries uh, back in 1990, so it's been almost exactly 30 years now. Uh, I had uh, been a pastor for 14 years prior to that at a church you're familiar with, Dan. You were um, much later a, a pastor there, and you're very missed, by the way. I should um, hope so. Yeah, I, you should hope so, exactly. And um, uh, and actually, people all the time uh, are asking about you, and I always tell them, go online and watch those great messages at LBF. But anyway, um, the... Um, the reason we started the ministry was because of something that happened in our lives. Um, I was, I went to jail for civil disobedience. I had to step out of pastoral ministry because of lawsuits from abortion clinics and all that, but they intended it for evil. God intended it for good. Um, much like Joseph and uh, his, his brothers and, and God's sovereign plan. We started this ministry and really at first it was just, what was closest to our heart, which was the, uh, the pro-life issue and missions. And I had been a missions pastor by my request the last four years at the church. And so missions, pro-life work, kind of a platform for my writing, 
uh, and speaking. And uh, over the years, we've gotten into all kinds of things, including uh, prison ministry and a, a lot of things where God has just opened up doors for us. And uh, we do a lot of things, but have a great staff, and it's just a privilege to serve. Awesome. Well, well, you even, it, you just alluded in the starting of the ministry to something that we'll come back to later. But um, what we wanted to talk about in this episode is in the situation that we're in with the pandemic, questions about sort of safety and risk and weighing those things are, are near the front of our minds. So the big question that we want to talk about during this time um, is how does safety and risk, how do those two fit into sort of the Christian hierarchy of priorities. And I, I thought maybe to start, and, and we'll, we'll start this with you, Randy, but maybe all three of us can even weigh in just so that we can kind of couch ourselves. Um, I feel like as I've watched different people respond to this, I, I, want, to, I want to eliminate the polls. I want to eliminate the extremes to say, all right, we're, we're not gonna, I'm not intending for us to take seriously people that are saying that this is a hoax or a government conspiracy. I think that's almost certainly not true. And, uh, and at the same time, I have a different perspective on that, but I'll wait. No. I, okay. We're going to let you talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. And, and on are? the other hand, I want to eliminate sort of the thinking that um, this is doomsday. This is the end of all things. And to say, it seems like almost all of us fit in, in more of these middle categories where we see this as something serious, but not the end of the world. But what I've observed is I feel like different people have sort of different gut instincts with how to respond to this. I'd say one gut instinct seems to be, hey, if there's something that we can do to increase safety, of course we would do it. And the other gut instinct seems to be life is risky. You're always taking your life into your own hands. You got to live your life, move on. And so um, I, I thought maybe we could start. We'll start with you, Randy, and maybe just briefly go around and say, what have we observed about ourselves to see where we land on sort of that gut instinct to the pandemic situation? Well, I think it's very revealing in a lot of ways because Scripture certainly teaches wisdom, just this practical. Uh, there, there's verses in Proverbs about uh, planning ahead and, and, and the fool rushes in and puts himself at risk and, you know, things like that. But then on the other hand, in Scripture, you've got so much uh, having to do with loving people and to love people requires risk. A lot of the best things that are being said about risk right now in the Christian community are from people in world missions. I mean, you you look online, and, and uh, I'm sure you did, and I did. I looked at a lot of stuff, and there's just a lot of missionaries saying a lot of things about, hey, um, we've got unreached people groups that still need to be reached. Do not think that everybody has to go home. Now, some missionaries, uh, even some from our church, are coming home for, for a season, not critical of them at all. And I think this is where we have to exercise wisdom. God's will is not does not look the same for everybody else. So let's not be critical of people who come away from a mission field that we would have never had the courage to go to in the first place. We've, I've heard some of that, you know. But in, in any case, there's just a lot of things we have to say. What am I willing to risk? Uh, to evangelize, to share my faith. And actually, even apart from the virus, what am I willing to do in terms of risking my reputation uh, and, and uh, of, of sharing Christ with somebody that might reject me? Uh, my, the risk of rejection. Um, there's lots of risks, and there's obviously the physical, the health risks, 
and all that. So I think it's 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 weighing and uh, and balancing. I've got a quote here which I'll read, and then I want to hear from you guys on it, and you might even pick up on some things uh, from Martin Luther in 1527, uh, uh, and it was titled "Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague." And here's what he said: We ought to think this way very well. By God's decree, the enemy has sent a pestilence. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others. If people in a city were to show themselves bold in faith, when a neighbor's need so demands, that's the, the love thing, and cautious when no emergency exists, and if everyone would help ward, then everyone would help ward off contagion as best he can, and the death toll would indeed be moderate. But if some are too panicky and desert their neighbors in their plight, and if some are so foolish as to not take precautions but aggravate the contagion, then the devil will have a heyday and many will die. Fifteen twenty seven. Pretty appropriate. Yeah, Garrett, why don't you weigh in on that? Yeah, I, I think when it comes just to my natural response, I'm not someone who overly worries about things. So when it comes to kind of where we are in the coronavirus, I think my default would have been like, it's not that big of a deal. And I would even look at like some of the stats that show you're talking, you know, one tenth of one percent of people are getting sick. But I think I love what Randy said about he really tied risk into like kingdom work, right? Like doing work for God and bringing up the mission field. And I think that's a really important distinction because a lot of the dialogue, especially the really polarized ones, are like, I want to go play golf or get my hair cut and I shouldn't have to worry about other people getting sick. Uh, that's very different than there's still unreached people groups who need to hear the gospel. And I think that distinction is, has always been there. Right. So like even in a church context, like a short term mission trip, like, yes, some of these places are less safe um, than our own neighborhood and our own backyard. But we're doing big things for God and we'll learn a lot more than than the people we're serving. So it's important that we go for that perspective. Then that is different of going some of these dangerous places just because you have no better reason or for a selfish reason. And so I think when we, when we weigh risk, especially in the context of what's happening today, I love that quote from Martin Luther because there's the caring for the other who might get sick. And then there's the personal risk that we take, which, which maybe as Christians is less of a concern than caring for the others and doing the right thing. Sometimes that's um, putting ourselves out there and weighing the risk of us getting sick or getting hurt. But sometimes that means risking to stay home to do the sacrificial thing so that others don't get sick. I think that's, that's a great perspective. Yeah. And, and I think I've, I've found myself kind of in a similar place. My, my gut reaction to this has been, I would rather, I'd rather take the risk than have everything shut down. And so that that's been the gut that I've been trying to moderate and try to figure out where, um, like I, I took a walk this morning um, and uh, I brought my mask with me. And I hung it sort of from my ears. And what I did is anytime I approached somebody who was outside who was wearing a mask and I was going to be passing by them, I put on the mask. Because I felt like, all right, like if, if the government had just said, the mask will help you be less likely to get it, wear it or don't wear it, I would not wear it. 
but I know that there's people who are clearly uncomfortable when they're around other people that aren't wearing the mask. And so, and so that is where kind of what you were saying here at the whole love for others where I'm like, all right, feel like, I hope I get a treasure in heaven someday for the fact that every time I put on that mask, it's only for other people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm of course joking. It's no huge sacrifice, but, but that has been for me trying to weigh and say, all right, I'm a part of this community. I value, I, I don't, I want people in my neighborhood to feel like I'm in it with them and that I'm not being reckless and that I care about their health. And so those are the things that that are a lot weighing into me of thinking about this. And I think, it does, you know, Garrett, you, you kind of alluded to it. It's in some ways when we're talking about risk and safety, we do get into the question of risk reward, where, where it is, all right, you know, that there are risks worth taking. Um, and then there are risks that just kind of feel reckless. Like what, what are you getting out of that for the risk it took? Um, and, and we'll see, while this isn't an exact parallel situation, you know, Randy, you alluded a little bit to the civil disobedience and to going to jail and, and everything involved with that. Um, I would love for you just to tell a little bit of that story and especially just to talk about what were the different factors that you were weighing when you were going through that process because you knew what you were getting into and you were weighing sort of the, the safety, like you were talking about the biblical wisdom versus the mission that God has called us all to. Yeah, it was one of those things that I uh, became aware of people going down to uh, abortion clinics and doing the passive um, resistance, nonviolent, civil disobedience. Um, and I felt a definite compulsion from the Lord. Subjective, I searched scripture, I saw that there is a place for civil disobedience to save lives, but this was a pretty new thought to me. And, and it obviously was a very controversial one. Um, many people in my church didn't agree with it. Some of my uh, co-pastors and leaders didn't agree with it, but they were very kind and said, look, we, we can't tell you don't do what you really believe God wants you to do. And we understand your reasons biblically, um, but we don't really share them. And, and one thing I said to a lot of people was, you know, these principles are not, I mean, the principles are for everyone, but the application varies among us. I mean, you can believe in world missions with all your heart, like I do and I know that, that you do, and yet uh, not go to the mission field. So is that being a hypocrite? No, it's understanding God puts us in different places. So that was my feeling there from the beginning. But what I really struggled with was I knew there would be a big cost. I knew that the cost in terms of how I would look, and you you, you know the political climate and Oregon uh, is just, I mean, the, the level of hostility against uh, something done on the basis of Christian convictions and taking a stand um, as compared to uh, other types of like environmental protests and all that. That's a slap in the hand and people respect you more often when you do that. But um, th- this was not that way. So I think I struggled with how am I going to look? And as time went on, I did. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, uh, the, the risk of personal reputation for me was probably bigger than the risk of knowing that we could lose our house because of lawsuits. And uh, they did try to take um, all of our assets, but, and this would be a balance, an act of, what would you call it? Safety, I guess, or wisdom. Um, I transferred, uh, we transferred the house over to Nancy's name before I did my first before the first time I broke the law. 
And uh, as it turns out, they wanted to get all of our assets, but they couldn't get them. So here would be, I'm taking a risk. At the same time, I'm acting in wisdom to minimize the risk of the financial loss to us and the financial gain to them. But then when I could no longer be a pastor and could only make minimum wage uh, for then the next 20 years, and I didn't know all those consequences would come out of it, once again, it was, I'll never forget one of the uh, elders' wives from our church, or actually, it wasn't an elder then, but he shortly afterward became an elder, who just said to me one day, are, are you even, saw me at church, and she's pretty upset, and she just said, are you even thinking about your family? Are you even caring like, about your, your wife and your daughters? And I said, oh, no, I, I'm not. Thank you for bringing it up. Um, now that you mentioned, I mean, well, of course, I was deeply concerned, and we had talked about it as a family, and that's back when the girls were only uh, ten and twelve, and uh, but we worked this through, and uh, I think the, the the weighing of the risk versus the safety in defense, and there were some physical things. There there was some uh, uh, pain. Uh, related to the way the handcuffing was done with some officers that were very frustrated and, and wrists being contorted. Very, very minor thing. But the, the going to jail a number of times and uh, that sort of thing um, and having severe diabetic reaction because they wouldn't believe me that I really was an insulin-dependent diabetic even though I had my equipment with me, but they, of course, confiscated. But those on a global scale, those are so minor and so secondary but people would say, do you really think it's worth it? And I'm not still doing it today, and I don't think it would be worth it for me to do today. But at the time, I really believed it was the will of God. And I have to say, it was pretty costly in a lot of ways, but the reward way outweighs the cost. And, and we did a number of lives worth saved, just objectively, we know. Even Planned Parenthood in, the, in those days said, look, if any woman is prevented from having, but whether it's by bad weather or anything else, by keeping her appointment, there's a 25% chance she will never go back to have an abortion and that child will come to term. For a Planned Parenthood, that was a bad thing. For us, that was actually encouraging it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, well, thanks. I have it, and, and I think that does uh, kind of outline some of the wrestling match with this. Um, I, I got some questions to get to, but Gary, do you have something you want to throw in here? Yeah, one of the things that I've been thinking about is when we talk about risk and uh, we th think a lot about the fear of those risks and something that we, we touched on briefly before was this idea of fear being connected to our faith. And there seems to be um, whether, um, you know, a strong conviction or misinformation, sometimes there seems to be this idea that having any type of fear uh, goes against the faith that God has given us. And I remember seeing at the beginning of kind of the um, – the first uh, news coming out about the coronavirus, there was a lot of even scripture references and just things posted out there, you know, to not fear, don't have fear. God will take care of you. Uh, don't worry about getting sick or your family. But I think, you know, we, we kind of saw that it became a bigger and bigger deal. And there was kind of this tension where I would imagine, maybe not myself, but people were like, I have like anxiety and fear because the world, this has never gone, happened before. Does that mean that, um, I'm a bad Christian. Does that mean that I'm sinning because um, I have I, every day I look at the news and it causes me anxiety and fear about what's happening around the world or my elderly parents or myself? 
how do you think, Randy, I'd love to hear from you. What do you think about the connection between fear um, and faith? How does that play out into our, our Christian walk amid a pandemic like this? Well, I think it's an interesting thing. I mean, you raise a, a great question. And in Scripture, we are told in many passages, do not fear. Jesus said, do not worry. Be anxious for nothing. You know, Philippians 4 says. And yet, we, we look at that and we go, what we call, it's, it's probably a matter of defining terms. Because is there a healthy fear in life? Well, of course there is. I mean, uh, a person who's so fearless that they just... Uh, run out and play on the freeway, or, you know, if your child did that, you, you could admire them for being fearless, but you, they're doing a very unwise thing. Be anxious for nothing. That doesn't mean be concerned for nothing, because of course we should be concerned about any number of things, like I need to uh, provide for my family. Uh, that's a legitimate biblical concern. Uh, so I think the temptation toward anxiety and fear that is of the sort that God commands us not to have and to resist and to seek to overcome by God's grace is a ratcheted up consuming type of thing that uh, tears us away from trusting God. I think Mm -hmm. the bottom line of both the, the fear and anxiety issue is who are you trusting? Are you trusting God or do you believe your life is just kind of random and in the hands of others and, and even the devil and that he's going to run away with your life and, uh, and, and not only are you not going to have control, but there's something much better than you having control. It's that God has control. So I think trusting in the sovereign love and providence of God is basic to the issue of both fear and anxiety. And, and, and when you say this is the really bad kind as opposed to this is a mild form that's positive of a concern and a healthy fear as opposed to uh, you know uh, anxiety and uh, and being consumed by fear yeah I love that that's that's making that connection that it's more about um, how you live out your faith and trust in God not that having them are bad or that having them means that you're not trusting God enough it's that we all might have them to different degrees, um, but how does that define your, do you let it define your faith or do you overcome it? I, I, lo- I love that. I'd love to hear from you, Dan, as well. Well, well yeah, and maybe um, thinking about, you know, we, we talk a little bit about the personal anxiety. I, I want to ask a question that has more to do with sort of the church community in different churches. And so I know, you know, for, for our church, for LBF Church, you know, we, we are, um, you know, putting services online, doing lots of Zoom meetings, Facebook Lives, where we are not currently meeting and we're looking at the government, you know, whether they're mandates or strong recommendations. Um, we, we are taking the tack now where we're saying we want to be good citizens. We want to submit to our governing authorities. Um, we believe that our, even if we might disagree with individual decisions, we believe that our leaders are acting in good faith, that this is an oppression. Um, and so that's our current tack. I know it, not, not that you're currently in leadership at Good Shepherd, but I know at Good Shepherd, that's, that's the, the similar tack. And that seems to be sort of the norm. Um, there are churches responding differently, but that seems to be the norm for most churches that we say, we don't see this as oppressive. We're, we're going to fit into the norm of what we're being asked to do. And so my question is, um, something that I've been given a lot of thought to is, 
what would be indicators that it's time for us as churches and the Christian community to count the cost and start bucking the norm? Um, that, that situation may never come um, in this situation, but um, I was wondering if you had any insight into just thinking like what, what would be the scenario in which it would be time for, for either churches to say, now we are going to start regathering even though we're being asked not to, or we are going to regather and not wear masks even though we're being asked not to, to buck that norm. Well, I think, uh, as you know, there are the people who say, you know, this is part of a government plot to control the church. And you go, wow, there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of damage that's being done outside of the church if the whole yeah. plot was to take the church it's, down it's also but, given it's also given a lot of credit to the government for being that competent to be able to exactly, do that exactly churches and restaurants they're done that's right, <laughs> that's right. gyms that's no right. more <laughs> yeah but 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 even though that's just foolishness and but but i i, I i'm stunned sometimes at the posts i see from people who actually believe this, and then I'll see the interviews with the pastors and say, the government is not going to tell us we cannot worship. Well, of course you can worship, and churches are worshiping online, and Nancy and I have found that, um, of course we miss being in church, but we are singing along to the worship, and uh, we aren't even being, uh, we can actually pause it. If there's a reason why we've got to go do something and then come back, and we we miss less now, uh, you know, like like when we gather as a church, and I, I have a lot of conversations, and a lot of us do, um, with people. Then you kind of walk in late for worship, or somebody grabs you and even whispers to you, you know, see you next year, or whatever. But we have just found that we've had undistracted worship, listening attentively to our pastors and their message have been li listening to uh, some of your messages uh, and, and, it, and it just has been very rewarding and, and, and very meaningful. So I, I think some people just need to you know, realize you're not being prohibited from anything and you can go online. And now think of this, if this had happened even 20 years ago, mm -hmm. but certainly that it happened 30 years ago, or any time in human history prior to this, the most you could have done is uh, had a, a telephone connection and, and everybody has their phone called into someone. I mean, I don't know. What, I mean, what could you have done? And now we can see the faces and the expressions. And all. So my, my feeling is that uh, I would not want the church to be the one who insists on coming back. Obviously, the church's reputation has really been tarnished by that small minority of churches, which have now become the center of uh, the hotspots of virus in various places. And that happened in Singapore, where there were two churches. Uh, there's a lot of churches in Singapore. I've been there. It's a wonderful place, wonderful Christian community. But as a matter of faith, they were going to gather. And now other people have died as a result mm. of the church saying, you will not take away my right to worship. Well, your right to pray, your right to study scripture, your right to worship, your right to uh, gather electronically, you know, that is still in place. And if for some reason, which will not happen, but if for some reason the government said, okay, everybody, all groups of a certain size can come back together again 
to work, but we will not allow churches again. I guess then that would be that, wait a minute. Now, don't, don't make us not do what other people are doing. If we can gather in large situations for non-emergency and non-critical work purposes, then we can also gather for worship, and then everybody's going to have to make their own call on that. I would be really hesitant to draw that line in the sand and, and be known as the people who just would not put up with um, reasonable steps. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. And I, I appreciate what you're saying there. And I think it is, it, it does come back a lot to those questions of um, what are the ways that we're loving our neighbor? What are the ways that we're fulfilling our mission right now? And um, it certainly is not good that we're not meeting, but like you said, man, I, I just, I regularly thank God for the fact that we can do so much that would have been unthinkable when, when I was sure. a teenager, you know, which I guess was kind of a long time ago now, but um, <laughs> maybe, maybe a lot longer for me than for Garrett. Um, uh, I mean, just, just maybe in, in going a little bit further with this, um, it, because you alluded to this earlier, um, we're, we're living in this time where the safety risk stuff is really prominent for us. I mean, this is an issue way outside um, of this time of the pandemic, that this is a Christian question. And I, I just wanted to ask you to weigh in, you know, on, on the United States in general, but let's just say we, we removed the pandemic situation, we're back to kind of the normal life in the sense of the way that we lived before this all came up. Um, what would be some things that you think the church in the United States should be considering or acting in, in terms of being riskier for the sake of the gospel? Yes. I mean, I, I, I think when you, when you look at, uh, I, you probably did too, but I kind of did, you and I were actually joking in an email about let's, let's find all of our books on the theology of safety right. you know, and they don't exist pretty much. There's, there's much more on a theology of risk. But I, I think the, the risk thing is, uh, is huge in terms of we need to boldly proclaim the, the gospel. We need to be riskier in our own personal lives. Uh, and I've got a story in that regard related to my father. Um, my father was the most resistant person to the gospel that I have ever known. And he made very clear to me how deeply disappointed he was in me. When I became a Christian, when I went to Bible college and seminary, oh my word, he just, he said, I had hoped that you would make something of your life and, and thought that you had potential and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, he was very hostile. And then one time when he was uh, uh, close to 80 years old, he was traveling to another part of the country. And I thought of all the driving and everything else that he's doing. When he got to the certain location, some relatives I knew their address. I sent a letter and had him, uh, it was waiting there for him. And I just went, even though he's told me he never wants to hear the gospel, I sent him this letter. He opened that letter. And when he got home, he told me in no uncertain terms, don't ever do that again. I thought, well, I really believe the Lord wanted me to do it, but people don't always respond well. Okay, fast forward then another five plus years, my dad calls me. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm, there's going to be a mess, but I'm, I'm taking my life because he, he had cancer and he didn't want to die the way that people die from cancer that he had in his mind. And so I rushed, I begged him not to do anything. I, I, I got up there, I, I, I broke in the front door, um, 
found him as he was walking out of the room thinking I was likely too late. And I rushed him to the hospital and they were taking him in for surgery. And I prayed with him and I said, and we had a few minutes, well, we had about 15 minutes. And I said, Dad, you have asked me to never tell you this again, but I don't know and you don't know if you're going to come out of the surgery alive. And so I opened up to Romans 3 and Romans 6 and Romans 10, shared the gospel, and then said, thank you, Lord, this may be my last opportunity to share the gospel with my dad. It did not even occur to me that he might respond. But then I said, so, Dad, I've uh, shared all this with you. And let me just ask you, have you ever come to a point where you placed your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? That was the ultimate rhetorical question. Of course, I knew the answer was no. He says, no, I never have. I thought, that's it. I'm thanking the Lord for this opportunity. And then he says, but I think it's about time I did. And he ends up praying, giving his life to Christ, genuine conversion, lived for another four years, and we were able to see God do some strong things in his life. But the thing is, I think dads, unbelieving dads, in my experience, especially with my friends who are guys, the barriers to sharing the gospel are huge, and the level of fear of, you know, all I can say is push through the fear. And I am so grateful to this day that by God's grace, I was afraid without a doubt. I was afraid. I was trembling as I shared the gospel with this man, but I would just say push through the fear. I think that's an example of we've got to take risks with people. I know people who unbelievers are dying and there's believers around them who are going, well, I'm looking for the right opportunity. They're dying. This is the right opportunity. Make it happen by God's grace, and then leave the results to the Lord. Thanks. That's great. And I think that, yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge thing for us all to be considering, regardless of the situation. Um, Yeah, I mean, a lot of us have have um, examples in our own Christian walks where someone shared with us something that, I mean, maybe we don't, we don't know whether or not that was scary for them, but there's a good chance that somebody stepped out on faith, did something that was um, maybe uncomfortable for them. And, and yet here we are uh, as Christians and have, uh, and they were a part of our story because they did that. Yeah. Another thing I would say, as we look at our children, um, I, I, some of the memories that come back with the civil disobedience, uh, Dan thinking of Karina, my daughter, your wife. Uh, and, um, she, there was one thing that happened where the night before we went into a 30 days in court in a big lawsuit, I got a call from my attorney. I'll never forget. Family was sitting around together. The court case was going to start the next day. I got a call from our attorney and he said, the abortion clinic wants to drop your name from the lawsuit. So you'll be liable for nothing. You will not be on the group of people anymore. However, because they did it at the last moment, the law requires uh, that you agree to it. And he says, of course, you will agree to it. I mean, you'd be a fool not to. And, and, and so I said, well, well, let me think about this because uh, I want to consider whether to be a fool or not. And so I got off the phone went with Nancy, Karina, and Angela. Karina at that point, say, 12, and, uh, and, and Angie, uh, 10. And I shared it with them. 
what do you think we should do? And Karina's response, I'll never forget it. I see the look on her face. She says, Dad, if the abortion clinic doesn't want you to be on this case, I think God does want you to be on it. And I had explained to them prior to that, if this lawsuit could mean losing our house, it could mean we, we can't afford for sure. We wouldn't be able to afford to send you making minimum wage to Christian school, church school, shepherd school. And she loved her school. And of course, the girls loved their house. And here, here are children. And, and Angie's nodding her head like, yeah, what my big sis says. Yeah, let's go with that. And I look at Nancy and, and she's looking at me like, what can we do? I mean, the children know. The children believe. And the children are willing to take a risk. Why would we not? So I called back the attorney. He was utterly shocked. Do you understand what you're doing? You understand that you're going to lose this case big time and you're going to be under possibly a million dollar judgment. He was wrong on that. It was $8.2 million. But, but, but so what I'm saying is with our kids, involve your kids. As Nancy and I look back at it, one thing we're so grateful for is we didn't hide from our kids what was going on. I could have just left, could have never told them I went to jail. I could have, you know, I mean, maybe they would have heard from somebody else. But back in those days, it was not like social media's right. on top of everything. It was just, do you watch the news or not? And that's the only way you would know. And I just thank God for the faith of children. And I think even right now, explaining to kids and let them develop their faith and let them pray. And don't try to shield your kids from everything. Expose them enough where they can learn to really trust God. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love that. And, and, and I think it is insightful just because a lot of times, I, I just know as a dad, a lot of what keeps me from taking risks is thinking about my kids and, and thinking about that. And it's such a huge reminder there to think, gosh, what what is the message we're giving our kids versus the risks we're willing to take and not willing to take? Yes, and that's a beautiful thing there is uh, I don't want to put my children at risk, but I want to embrace times where, under God, where I take certain risks along with my children. We as a family taking a risk. And again, I, I've heard the pushback in missions context where they should not be taking little children out to that country, that developing country where there's a lot of disease and a lot of crime and danger. Uh, lots of times that's overblown in our thinking. But even if it's accurate, really, is there no time? Where, well, what about families that choose to move to inner city situations where there's a higher crime rate? to bring the gospel, you know, really, uh, are, are you supposed to leave your children to live with other people out in the suburbs while you follow God's call to go to the inner city? Or is there a time where there's reasonable risk, even of your family, reasonable risk? Yeah. But what, what is reasonable becomes, has a different level to it when there's an urgency related to the gospel. So it might be unreasonable to your average person, but reasonable to a kingdom kingdom-minded person. Yeah. When, and I, I mean, I just got to think, how many of the people who are leading the charge for the gospel now were exposed to godly risks when they were kids by parents and by their church family? And so they got a taste early. 
and didn't suddenly in college or adulthood say, well, now that I'm 26 years old and have a mortgage and a kid on the way, now I'm yeah. going to start taking gospel risks. Um, so, man, what a service that we can do to our kids to look to demonstrate there are things worth risking for. And, and I just think our kids, it's not that they don't feel the risks we take, but I remember it, it wasn't the same situation, but I remember kind of late high school one time my dad came to our family and sat us down for a family meeting and said, all right, there's, there's significant layoffs going on at work. Um, he thought he didn't end up being laid off, but he thought it was more than likely that he was going to be. And he just sort of announced it to all of us. Um, and we all took it in. And, uh, and then I just remember my younger brother who was, I mean, he was a teenager at this time. We weren't young. He just sort of said, uh, okay, is the meeting done? <laughs> And, uh, and my dad said, yeah, unless you have any questions. And I can't remember what he asked, but I think he asked something like, you know, uh, can we get in and out tonight? I mean, he, <laughs> and my brother, you know, like my brother is a philosophy professor. My brother is not a dumb right. guy. So it wasn't that yeah. he was clueless. It was just that his priority clearly was like, we're still going to be a family. We're still going to be right. together. If dad loses his job, I'm not going to see dad as a failure. So, so I do just think, man, there's when it's kids who, who so often make us say, I can't do that. I can't put my kids through that. I think, man, uh, I think the safety and security of knowing that they're part of the family um, goes a lot further than what we would assume the safety of the regular paycheck or the private school or the right. house that we have goes. Right. And there are a lot of missionary kids who, who really, uh, look back and they wouldn't want to have been raised any other place in sure. any other way and have many, many benefits now uh, from having been raised that way. And, and the other thing is when we think about safety and related to our kids, there's physical safety and we're really on top of the physical safety of our kids. What about spiritual safety? What about mental safety? What about safety from things like pornography and moral safety uh, spiritual safety uh, from the kind of kids that they're hanging around with and the sources of input to their lives and the kind of media that we may allow them to be exposed to. We wouldn't think of taking physical risks with these kids. We wouldn't think of them not wearing their seatbelt or the, the child that's of the right age not being in that car seat. But sometimes we're way more lax about other safety issues. And Okay, so what happened was my, I, I had my um, iPad plugged in, and that's what I was using. And I noticed even though it was plugged in, it just kept losing. Uh, and, and then I saw we're down to like 2%. We're down to, and it says 1%. And I go, I think we may just sneak this in or we may not. But whatever. So, I mean, we can certainly continue sure. if you want but, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I think we were reaching the tail end, but I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, at some point you were making a point and it cut off in the middle of it. So I'm trying right. to... And that may be the, the Lord's way of saying that was not a good point to make. <laughs> <laughs> your, your time is That's up. enough there. That's what you're going to say. <laughs> That's great. Um, do, you, do you have any thought on that, Garrett, if there's something we should go back to or if we should just kind of continue on? Yeah, I wonder how well we could edit that. Um, it doesn't matter. I mean, we could cut it. I don't even it. know. I mean, because I, I don't know where, I know where it ended on my end. Yeah. But I think it might have ended on your end before that. We can I'm just give sure. it to Ryan and say, you can figure out where to cut it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about spiritual safety over physical. Yeah, we care more about that. Yeah. So, so yeah, we might be able to kind of at a good point through that sort of like. When if you want to, to give them more options for the editing, I could just, you know, just kind of say that and yeah. see what, yeah, what well, they do with it. Uh, but, but uh, you know, the, the whole idea being we're so concerned for our children's spirit, uh, physical safety, and rightly so, of course. Uh, although I think even that can be taken to extremes. Uh, I mean, uh, there are some people who are, are so um, hovering over their kids all the time that the kids aren't, uh, there's no opportunity for the kid to ever trip and fall. <laughs> and it's sure. like, you know, if a kid doesn't trip and fall, uh, there are worse things that happen, and they're going to learn when they trip and fall. Uh, but sure, we take reasonable steps for their safety, and that's a very good thing. But at the same time, uh, how diligent are we in terms of their spiritual safety, their moral safety, um, their mental safety? What kind of worldviews are they being exposed to and being tempted to embrace? And, and, and in some families, the only thing that counteracts it is maybe an hour a week at church or maybe another hour at youth group. Uh, and that's pretty much it. And we just need to help our kids be in God's word, learning to read and love to read. Because if you don't love to read, you're not going to be uh, a reader of God's word. Um, and and, and where's the, their future? I just wish we would expend as much uh, time and concern for young people's spiritual, mental, worldview, emotional, moral lives as we do in their physical lives. Yeah. Oh, well said. Um, well, yeah, I mean, obviously we, we could keep going for a long time. There's lots of good stuff here, but we're going to go ahead and wrap up this time. So Randy, thanks so much for taking the opportunity to come all the way to your computer so that you could join us for this podcast episode. Hi, there were a lot of risks along the way, but I was very careful. I mean, yeah, there were, there careful. were probably stairs and doors and, you know, entrance. There were. And, you know, I do, by the way, remember one time I took uh, an extreme sport risk back when hang gliding was first popular in the 70s, you know, and where were you guys in the early 70s? Uh, yeah, uh, twinkle in somebody's eye, I don't know, but whatever. And, um, and I went out, and on my third attempt, the first two couple of times, you know, the, the guy who was teaching me how to do, who's a real, he was real good at it, he was an old friend. He says to me, well, the good thing about this is you won't be good enough to go high enough to really endanger yourself. So what happens in my, third, in my first couple of attempts, I'm maybe 20, 30 feet off the ground. It's not going to be a big deal if I crash because it's a pretty solid hang glider. And so on the third attempt, the updraft hit. And I went a couple hundred feet up in the air and did not know what I was doing. And so I'm doing this and I'm wrong and I'm headed to the wrong place. And I had a pretty serious crash, messed up my leg, literally broke. In those days, I wore glasses, broke my glasses. And from that time forward, I just went, you know, I don't think it makes sense to, I mean, what is my gain? What is the pain? I mean, that's the most I can get out. This is fun. Is there nothing else I can do to have fun? <laughs> Uh, reasonable risk reasonable That's risk right. 
That's a good point. Well, well, thank you again for, for joining us and for such great scripture insight. Um, and, uh, and we, we like to put for, for those of you listening, we like to put up podcasts like this and other episodes, um, from the Christian contrast, just to talk about things, not only related to the pandemic, but in general about how we're living differently than the world around us. So again, Randy, thanks so much. And Pleasure. Behalf, great to be with you guys. Absolutely. On behalf of Garrett, thanks so much for watching and listening. And uh, we hope to see you on Sunday.